This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Mara Glatzel to the show. Mara has a master's of social work and has trained as a therapist throughout her schooling, but now she operates as a coach, a podcast host, and she is the author of a book called Needy, How to Advocate for Your Needs and Claim Your Sovereignty. Oof. Even just reading the title of that book, I knew that I needed to have Mara on the show. I don't know about you, but when you hear the word needy, what comes up? For me, I always felt like my needs were something that made me clingy and undesirable to people and a burden to others. And I felt the need to make them very small or put them on the back burner to prioritize and take care of others around me or to fit in with my peers. But as I've grown and healed and done so much of this work, I've come to understand that we are human beings and human beings have needs and that is okay. But some of you may still be struggling with feeling like your needs are not important or are not valid. So Mara has come on to join us today to help us understand how to communicate our needs, to explain to us and help us unpack how we find ourselves in this situation to begin with, with thinking that our needs are not important. She dives into needs versus wants and whether they're in competition with each other or complementary. And we also have a really important conversation about who is responsible for meeting our needs. Is it us? Is it our partners, people around us, a combination of those things? I took away so much from this conversation with Mara, and I know you will too. Let's hear this week's episode. Maternal sleep deprivation can be an uphill battle for moms. Moms that suffer from sleep deprivation are more likely to develop postpartum depression, anxiety, and other mental health challenges. Once a mom develops postpartum depression or anxiety, getting adequate sleep is also a vital part of the treatment plan. Unfortunately, sleep disturbances are a part of being a new parent. Babies often wake up through the night, even up to a year. If your baby isn't a unicorn sleeper, it doesn't mean you're failing. The truth is that all the planning, researching, and worry we put into a baby's sleep might not move the needle as much as we would like. Teething, illnesses, medical issues, or developmental changes can impact baby's sleep, and so much of that is outside of our control. When we focus only on mom sleeping when baby sleeps, it creates a lot of stress and frustration, leading to more sleep difficulties. But we don't have to wait until our babies sleep through the night to get better rest. We can plan to make our own sleep a priority, separate from our baby's sleep. Instead of obsessing over awake windows, sleep apps, and fancy swaddles only to feel frustrated and stressed when our babies still struggle to sleep, we can carve out a plan focused on our sleep. I created a sleep plan for mom, ways to protect maternal sleep in the postpartum period to help us take back some control over our sleep. You'll learn to bust common sleep myths and create an individualized sleep plan that works for you so that you can start to get some rest again without relying on how well your baby sleeps. We don't need to wait until we're in the middle of a nighttime sleep crisis to ask for help. Instead, we can plan in advance, work towards a realistic sleep plan, and get creative about how to get restorative sleep. 
Planning for and prioritizing maternal sleep can set moms up for more success and protect them against and greatly improve maternal mental health challenges. Your sleep matters. Your mental health matters. And you matter. Go to momwell.com slash sleep to download your copy of the maternal sleep plan. That's momwell.com slash sleep. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Mara, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. You are Sounds True author, which you may not know. I'm also about to be a Sounds True author. I did know. After I looked into you, you, after you got in touch with me, I was like, Sounds True family. I love it. And I, of course, like follow their publication page and things like that. And your book release came up and just the name alone was enough to stop me in my tracks because here on the podcast a lot, we talk about like all the societal pressures, all the things, right? And being needy or clingy, Mm -hmm. like the idea of being needy, you know, air quotes is like so cringe or we've been taught to think it's so cringe that to explore this and how it weaves into our lives as women is just like really exciting. So I'm I'm happy you're here. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It is so funny because it wasn't until my book was out that I realized how, I mean, I love the name. I love the word needy. I find it very compelling personally, but also it's such a great litmus test for who this book is for because people hear it and they feel something, right? And that is a good sign that this is something to explore. And we carry so much about, yeah, God, not wanting to be seen as needy. There's just so much there. Yeah. I want to first understand a little bit about your story and who you are, because you open up with how this book sort of came to be with a story at the beginning. And I'm curious because we know that, you know, you're a licensed social worker and you've got this sort of, I would say, clinical lens to you, right? But then also you've got this lived experience. And so can you share with us the story around how this book came about? Yeah. So I'll clarify, I am not a licensed social worker because I'm not working as a social worker, but I have my master's in social work and I work now as a life coach. And so I do really bring my educational background to my lived experience in my work. And over the last couple of years, especially since having children, I have two kids, one who's three and one who's six. And, you know, I was doing self-care work before, but once my kids were born, 
I realized how little I knew or had the vocabulary for expressing what I needed. Mm. And, you know, people would say, well-meaning people would say, what do you need? And I wouldn't even know what was on the table. Mm -hmm. And I hear that from my clients all the time, that we're not even sure what to ask for. We don't have these models of people who are speaking about their needs positively, certainly not, um, but even neutrally. Right. And because of that dearth in public conversation, we don't get the skills that we need. And then we're all expected to somehow have these conversations with other people where we're clear about what we want to ask for and, you know, show up in a way that isn't all worked up and fraught. But we get worked up and fraught because we don't know maybe what we're allowed to ask for, what a need even is, Mm -hmm. what is reasonable to ask for. We may be specialists in determining what we think the other person wants to give us, but that's really different than what I would ask for if I were just starting fresh, if I could just have anything, which is so important because that's where we need to begin. We need to say, this is what originates from me. This is what I need. And then enter into a conversation and maybe there's a compromise and maybe you figure it out with the other person. But starting with, this is what I need is essential. Mm-hmm. It makes me think about how early on we get these messages about our needs not being important. Because you talk about the story of it all kind of coming to a head in motherhood and, you know, in parenthood and and being a partner and all of these pieces. But I think back to like my teenage years, even just like being a girl dating guys in high school, feeling like, oh, you can't be too, you know, too much to all of these like words that you bring out. And so I feel like so much of our even like younger years set us up to really kind of flounder in motherhood. Like we have broken apart from ourselves so far already and then add caring for these humans where all of these needs come before ours. I feel like it is really like a a perfect storm to Mm -hmm. really lose ourselves in. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if this resonates with you, but I know for me that before I started trying to have kids and needing something for my body, my interactions with my body were largely under a diet culture lens where, you know, it was about how my body looked, how other people perceived me, how well it was performing in a certain way. And diet culture really seeks to disconnect us from ourselves because that keeps us buying and striving and, you know, signing up for the next thing. And that disconnect additionally hinders us in terms of knowing what we need, because if we're not well connected to the inner workings of our bodies, our emotions, you know, we don't have the data to then determine what we need. And so wanting to have a kid, it was a little bit challenging for me to get pregnant with my first child. And all of a sudden it was like, I wanted something from my body and my body (laughs) wanted a lot of things from me. And that was a real surprise. And that dovetailed into motherhood where, you know, and postpartum mood issues, my postpartum body, just the way that I was learning to understand myself was completely different than anything I had been prepared for. Mm. And sure, there are those conversations about how you bounce back and all of that. And there's a diet culture component to this as well. Mm -hmm. But 
for me, it was even knowing how to take care of the new person that I was after having my children really illuminated for me that I needed some more skills to be able to talk to myself, Mm -hmm. to be able to talk to other people, and that it no longer worked to put everybody else's needs ahead of my own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the diet culture piece, I feel like plays a role, at least for me and probably for many, many women and moms listening, right? Like we can't escape it, where I think that's some of the first places I learned to not trust myself, you know, like my body, like when when you're hungry, mm-hmm. why don't you just eat, you know, like things where it is an intentional breaking away from the cues that our body gives us to nourish ourselves or to rest when we're tired or to do these various things. I feel like that plays a really big role in that like relationship of trust with ourselves. And then obviously like our upbringing plays a role Uh, societal messages play a role. Yeah. What else do you think sort of contributes to this relationship with ourself becoming so complex and like distant? Well, we all carry these stories from so early in our lives. And when my daughter was born, I was sitting there very exhausted, looking at my kid, realizing how I didn't feel up to the job of meeting her needs at all. Mm. And that she would kind of look, you know, look at me and communicate with me in the very rudimentary way that she had available to her as a newborn, that she needed something. And as the parent, I was needing so many things at the same time. And it really highlighted for me how there can be this disconnect. And absolutely, sometimes there's, trauma involved with this. There's abuse involved with this. But sometimes it's just the misunderstandings between humans. Mm -hmm. You need something and I'm having a competing need at the same time. And, you know, I think we're talking about more often now in terms of attachment, how we speak to our children in such a way that they are able to emotionally regulate with us. Mm. But that didn't exist, you know, when I was a kid. And there are so many moments for hurt to be consolidated and carried with us where, you know, I asked for what I need. That person wasn't available for it. Maybe they were stressed. Maybe they were overwhelmed. They weren't particularly kind about it. I'm receiving that as there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my needs. Now, maybe I'm not going to ask as freely the next time I'm going to be a little bit more guarded and so on and so on and so on. And because we don't often have the skills or the kind of conversational templates to be having these conversations in such a way that you're affirming something like, hey, you know, thank you for telling me what you need. But I, you know, in this moment, this is what's going on for me. So not this, how about this? Or not now, how about later? Mm -hmm. These ways that we can have these conversations and still attune and validate the other person's needs. But in the absence of that, we're just picking up cues. right? And we're picking up these breadcrumbs over the course of our lives from friends, from people that we date, you know, especially if you're a big feeler, a big thinker, Mm. somebody who is kind of has a voracious appetite for 
human interaction. Mm-hmm. When there aren't boundaries and there aren't clear conversations, there's so much room for misunderstanding. And those misunderstandings can be encoded as people don't like me when I need things. Mm. And I want people to like me. I want to belong. Belonging is an essential human need. Mm -hmm. And anything that we perceive as a hindrance to our belonging kind of has to go because we want to belong. We need to belong, especially when we're children. We need to belong to our families of origin for our very literal safety. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as we grow, we don't necessarily shed that. And if we're not taught or we don't realize how belonging to others at the expense of belonging to ourselves misconstrues our life in the direction of who we think we should be, what we think other people need from us, you know, what wins us the most validation, Mm. that then we get in this position of the best of me is when I'm doing for other people. The best of me is when I'm kind of putting my, tucking my stuff aside, dealing with it on my own. Mm -hmm. And yet there's such a loneliness in that because we want to belong, but in that belonging, we want to feel seen. We want to feel heard. We want to feel known. And if we're not bringing ourselves to our relationships, people can't know us. And so we might be at the party or in the relationship, but we might feel alone even in those moments. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. 
That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc dot com slash momwell. That's probably one of the biggest things I hear from my community in motherhood is like, I don't feel acknowledged. I don't feel understood. I don't feel seen, especially when we talk about the invisible load or some of the content that I put out there. It's like, I've never felt so seen or understood, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that what you're highlighting is intentional or not, like we may have a tumultuous upbringing or we may have, you know, what we would consider a safe and healthy upbringing, well-adjusted. I, I, I don't come from that. I mean, I know a few who do, but if you did, I'm so excited for you. Um, that our needs get invalidated, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And we sometimes feel as though we're burdening people when we ask for help. And this is what comes out a lot in motherhood. I feel like these messages that we learn even when we're young, like they carry forward into our very roles that we're living in now. And I think when we talk needs, we think of like, you know, we're, we were talking diet culture and talking like literal physical needs, but can we define this for a moment? Cause this like goes far beyond even just those physical components. Yeah. A need is something that you require and that might be physically with your physical body, might be emotionally, mental, spiritual. Usually we only allow ourselves to need so much and we get stuck on the physical needs because they're present, right? We need food and hydration and rest and breath and movement in order to survive. But those other needs, the needs for love or celebration or contribution, the need to feel spiritually connected to something that is bigger than yourself, to community, those needs are present too. And the way that I think about it in my work is that the need is the what and the want is the how. Because I find that we try, we're overwhelmed. So we try to put these into a hierarchy where the need is on top because it's most pressing and the want is kind of a nice to have maybe. Mm. But I like to bring them side by side and really think about how the need is the what and the want is the how. And so you might need a feeling of contribution, But that want is how you in particular want to meet that need. Or you might want to feel loved. But the way that you in particular feel loved is when somebody squeezes you with both arms, not just with one arm, right? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. uses a pet name for you or uses words of affirmation with you or does an act of service for you, right? The way that you in particular want that need responded to, that's the want. And they really work in tandem with each other. When we're thinking about feeling really satisfied, it's because we have needs and we don't just want, you know, I think we all have that know that feeling of when somebody's just checking off the boxes mm. when they're taking the sort of phoning mm-hmm. it in. That's like, oh, I want to feel loved. And somebody says, well, I did that thing for you three days ago. And it wasn't, I mean, you know, <laughs> wasn't what you want. It was like, wasn't the flavor that you needed or wanted. Right. Um, right. And so it has this piece baked into it of feeling seen, of feeling known. And we can care for ourselves in this way, you know, say 
I'm hungry. I need breakfast. Well, what do I want in particular right now? Me, myself, my body, what suits me, what's available to me versus just kind of like, well, here's what you're going to get. Food is fuel. (laughs) Right. Like I'm hungry. Oh, there's broccoli in the fridge. Ooh. But like not for broccoli, like for something (laughs) else though, right? No, I totally, I totally get that. And I want to go on a date night and I want to spend time with you, but I want to do it out of the house where we're having an experience together, not just like at home when I see all the invisible load around me, right? Yeah. So I see how those two work in tandem together. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives the opportunity for meeting your needs to feel more satisfying, Because that's something that I hear a lot is like, I'm doing all of the right things, (laughs) but it doesn't feel the way that I want it to feel. And we have a need for celebration. We have needs for joy. And the more that we can bring that into what we are already doing, the more satisfying our very life as we're living it right now without changing anything can be. Mm -hmm. And You know, I like to notice for myself how sometimes these are micro decisions that are happening in my mind, I think. Giving myself what I really want would take all day, which I don't have, or a whole thing, which I don't have. But, you know, it's like looking into the cupboard when I'm picking my mug to put my coffee in. And sitting in front is kind of a basic sort of ugly mug. And right behind it is my favorite mug. And why is there this moment in my brain that says, I don't have time to put the first mug out of the way and grab the second mug that, you know, when we feel so stretched, it can feel as though we don't even have access to those mere seconds for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But those seconds, you know, they pile up and they can help us to feel more acknowledged in our daily lives. You know, I find one of the trickiest things with motherhood for me, especially when my kids were young and I spent a lot of time at home with them, is I would want my partner to come home and understand what my day had been like. Mm, But mm -hmm. because they had never been home with my kids for a whole day, they frankly had no idea what a whole day with my kids looks like. And so I would be looking for something from them that they weren't really able to give me. If you're not doing it, you don't understand how many minutes are in each hour. You don't understand like what the whole, like just the seconds just drag (laughs) on. How many lives you've lived since this morning. (laughs) And so it's really important too, that we are starting to do that validating for ourselves and starting to affirm ourselves and say, I'm the only adult here. Mm -hmm. So I have to be able to give myself credit and praise. You know, I want to feel acknowledged. And it's not that, you know, acknowledging ourselves is another thing on our very long list to do. But there is this piece of, I'm the person in the best position to say, hey, today was hard. Mm -hmm. And you got through it, like, pretty all right. And that is huge. And no one else was here to know that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the way that I'm relating to myself, the way that I'm making my choices for myself, any amount of celebration and acknowledgement that I can bring into that can make my daily life so much better. Yeah. I don't think I realized until I stopped and reflected and was going through the book how there are so many messages that tell us that our needs are not important, like before we have children in whatever ways, but then in motherhood, especially like 
care work isn't valued. Our time isn't valued. Mm-hmm. The invisible load that we carry goes unacknowledged and, you know, unequally distributed amongst the home. And all of those reinforce the early messages that like, you know, my needs aren't as important or the role that I play or the things that I do can be sacrificed or should be sacrificed for this role that I play. And so I feel like we really get set up and then in motherhood, we really get slammed with this self-sacrificial, intensive mothering ideal that to be a good mom, to be a perfect mom, to mother in the right way, we have to put our kids before ourselves. We have to put their needs before our own. We have to invest our emotional attention and our present, you know, attunement every moment of every day. And it is such an unrealistic expectation that we're burning out at an incredible rate and still feeling as though we can't take time for our own needs. So when you're framing the idea of needy in a positive light and talking about things like this radical responsibility for our needs, and that actually this is essential, this is like a non-negotiable, like we burn and, you know, crash and burn if we don't pay attention, is so compelling. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Asherine Areem's Psyched Mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code rage20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code rage20.
can you talk to me about the idea of this like radical responsibility? Because one of the things that I encounter when I work with people and couples, especially when we got a couple dynamic is a lot of blame, a lot of feeling like other people need to meet our needs. And that could be accurate. I don't know the dynamic of the relationship, but often our needs weren't met by our parents when we were little or whoever, you know, we carry this, like our needs went unmet. And then now also can sometimes feel like it's others' responsibility to meet our needs. And while that may be partially true, you introduced this concept of radical responsibility for our needs. And I thought that that was really powerful. Thanks. Yeah. You know, I was doing self-care work before I was a parent and people would sort of say, like, how cute is this? Well, wait until you have children. You know, I was young Mm. and I would get messages like that all the time and was really curious about that when I started having children. And what revealed itself, which I had suspected that it would, was that my needs were now suddenly far more important than they ever were before and not less Mm. Mm -hmm. because everything I am the vessel for everything that is going on here, right? I'm the vessel for my kids getting their needs met. I'm the vessel for them feeling seen, heard and held by me and my own presence and my own attention And I'm the vessel for my work, for my writing, for my volunteer things that I do, for all the things I do, I'm the vessel for it. Mm. And if I'm not in good working order, everything suffers. Right. It's like a domino effect, right? Like uh, that all starts to trickle down. And so this idea that we have to sacrifice ourselves in order to meet our kids' needs, but meanwhile, our needs go unmet, for me puts me already in a state of alarm because what I can see in that is the system is unsustainable and there will be a time that the bottom will fall out Mm -hmm. because we have needs. Having needs is a fact and not a flaw of living in a human body. Yeah. And many times, you know, women carry the boatload of the emotional labor in their relationships and their partner's needs are being met by them. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like well, you have all of these needs, mom, you have no needs, partner. Mm -hmm. It's easy to feel like you don't have any needs when all of your needs are being met. And there becomes this imbalance. And I think part of that radical self-responsibility is not that we meet all of our needs by ourselves. That's not what it means. Mm -hmm. But it does mean that we are responsible for those needs. And that means advocating for them out loud and in the presence of the people in our lives. Mm -hmm. Because what I find so many of us are doing is waiting until somebody reads our mind. Yeah, We've been taught that if we're good enough, if we work hard enough, if we're, I don't know, hot enough, all of these messages come in, Mm -hmm. then somebody else will cherish us enough that they'll meet our needs without us having to ask for it. Yeah, Which is such a trap because When that doesn't happen, and usually the other person does not know they're playing this game, when it doesn't happen, the message I'm receiving is, I must not be worth it. My needs must not be valid. Otherwise, they would be getting met. And I need to now work harder in order to earn Mm. what I need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's rife with misunderstanding when we don't actually have conversations about, hey, this is what I need. And 
It's tricky at first. By asking for what you need out loud and in the presence of the people in your lives, that is a relationship renegotiation. Mm. You know, you are changing the way that you show up there. Right. And that can be rocky at first. But what I find by and large is that everybody in the unit starts to realize, oh, wow, we all benefit Yeah, when everybody here, including this person, which is me in this case, <laughs> is in good working order. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you know, maybe I'm spending marginally less quantity of time with my children, but the quality of time I'm spending with them is so much greater. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm spending less time doing quantity acts of service for my partner, but my vibe (laughs) is so much better. You know, we start to see how... Everybody in the unit is impacted by the health and well-being of everybody else. Mm. And, you know, both parents have needs. And figuring out how to get our needs met, especially when our kids are young, is a balance Mm -hmm. and requires conversation. But what is essential for that is that each of us rock up to that conversation with, well, this is what I need, ideally. This is what I need, ideally. Okay, well, what can we do creatively to figure out how to get the majority of both of our needs met. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. But again, that piece of we're in it together and we mutually benefit from it. Yeah. It's like it's a we're in it together, a teamwork, not a me versus you sort of tit for tat whose needs are getting met most. And I like how you describe it as sort of being this, like we are the steward of our needs, Right. And not that we can independently meet those needs. We can't. We're human. We need connection. We need belonging. We need to feel seen by other people. Like that's a part of of the needs of being human. But we are the steward. I think of it kind of as like the operator that like plugs the need into the right person or place or thing so that we're stewarding them correctly and we're making the essential connections that need to happen to fill us up or take care of ourselves, right? And I hear like, I've been with them for this many years. They should know when they come home, they better walk in the door and take the baby because I'm going to lose it. You know, like they should know that. (sighs) Well, have we talked about it? Have we planned for what this transition looks like? Well, no, we want somebody to anticipate our needs. This comes like to like a deep sort of aching feeling. I think of like, maybe our needs weren't identified Mm -hmm. or like maybe, do you know what I mean? There's like an attunement sort of reparenting piece of like that little person that's just like, see my needs. Can someone just take care of me? I care for everybody. Can you just care for me? And that's something that I also hear a lot, right? Like I do everything for everybody. I help everybody. Can someone just take care of me in the way that I take care of them? And I would say that that feeling is, incredibly valid, right? Mm -hmm. And it could come from a wound. It could come from many different places. I would say it's entirely valid, but also this concept of radical self-responsibility or almost like inner mothering that we've talked about in previous Mm -hmm. episodes of like, well, now I'm the keeper of this little person, you know, and I've got to show up for them and make sure that those needs get met now, present day. And if there's no one there to be attuned to me in the way that I attuned to my kids and, you know, hold my hand through it, I have to be resourceful and figure out a way to find that support or connect with that support 
yeah, I think there's something there. Like we just long to be cared for in that way, you know? Yeah, I agree. So there's two things that I hear in that. And one is absolutely when our needs aren't met as children, we carry that hunger to be seen and valued and prioritized. And it's tricky because that isn't the responsibility Mm. of the people around us. And also it's totally valid that we feel that way. And that's one of the things that we can do in our relationship with ourselves is to really take the time to say, yeah, hey, you know, this feels really important to you for such a valid reason. The other piece is that piece of, I do so much for everybody else and nobody does anything for me. I find that's a spot where we can start to have some boundaries with ourselves. And if we are doing that mind reading in reverse, where we're anticipating the adult, right? Anticipate your children's needs. That's a function of parenthood, right? That is what we were wanting when we were children. That's where this comes from. Yeah. Anticipate your children's needs within reason. But when it comes to the other adults in your life, start to notice where you yourself are reading their minds and you yourself are jumping in before help is asked and expending a ton of your energy when you aren't being asked to. And, you know, we could say, absolutely, we are well conditioned to do this pattern. So we are being asked in a certain capacity. But, you know, one experiment that I really like to see people do in their relationships is to have a conversation and say, I'm really good at knowing what I think that you need Mm -hmm. before you ask me for it. But I am practicing minding my own business and waiting until you ask me for something out loud until I do it. I want to help you meet your needs. I want to be there for you. This isn't about me not caring for you. I care for you very much, but I'm just realizing how much misunderstanding happens when we're doing for other people without being asked directly, without permission, not all of these things. And so, you know, from this moment on, if you need something from me, please ask for it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't ask for it, I'm going to pretend that I don't see it, which is, this is awkward because here I am like minding my own business, (laughs) pretending that I don't see it. Do I see it? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. But this is a boundary with myself of noticing I am hopping up and nobody has asked me to do anything. Yeah. And bringing myself into right relationship with myself because how often am I doing for others and then have nothing left for myself mm-hmm. and telling myself that that's right. That's the right order of things. And so this is a sea change in how we relate to other people and how we relate to ourselves, but it's such a good practice to notice, okay, I actually do have a little bit left over when I'm not doing for people you know, before they ask me to. And also sometimes I don't know what somebody else needs from me, just as they don't know what I need from them. Mm -hmm. You know, I find that whole, they should know that they should come in and take the baby thing so interesting because I find in myself both that and also you don't know me. Don't assume that I just need something 
when we are in present time and asking for what we need and saying, hey, sending a text, hey, today was rough. Could you pick up the baby when you get home and you walk through the door so that I could have 10 minutes by myself behind a closed door? That would be amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, that changes so much. Being willing, and it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable to ask for what you need directly. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that we don't do it. But if we want to get our needs met, we have to learn how to ask. And we have to practice also the tolerance of other people not having the capacity mm. to meet our needs. Oh, especially in those early days where we're all fighting for our needs to be met, right? In those early yeah. postpartum, like nobody's sleeping, nobody's showering. Like it's just so wild that it feels like a competition of whose needs are more important at times. And I think that one of the traps that we fall into also as you're speaking is we often care for or love others the way that we want to be cared for and loved. Like if we think about love languages, for example, mm -hmm. I'm a very affectionate words of affirmation person. I'm going to pour all the words of affirmation and hugs and snuggles out. But if that's not my partner's love language or, you know, like we make assumptions, we make assumptions about how we want each other's needs to be met, how if we approach them a certain way, they will via osmosis and tele, like, you know, telepathy or whatever, whatever the word is, they will just know that this is what we want in return. Mm -hmm. And it is, I was going to say so much easier, sometimes not as vulnerable as you said, but it is so much more worth it. It is so much easier in the sense that we get the need met up front. Like we've got to learn the skills to ask and to be assertive or to have the conversations. But then when the need gets met, we don't feel so depleted because inevitably when needs get starved out, they pop up in other ways. Uh -huh. They work to get themselves met in ways that are often maladaptive at that point if uh -huh. we've been neglecting ourselves. And so figuring out how to identify them even for ourselves so that we can communicate them, I think is so important. And I know that you've got a framework for doing this work. So those who are like listening and are looking for maybe some tangible pieces, can we walk through a few items for them? Yeah. So, you know, the crux of this work really has to do with rebuilding your relationship with yourself and rebuilding your own self-trust. Because we don't know what we need if we're not taking the time to be with ourselves and to be patient with ourselves. And so I always recommend that people start with checking in with themselves every day mm -hmm. and checking in with themselves whether or not any answers come up. Because sometimes this is slow and, you know, you may ask yourself a hundred times what you need and a hundred times the answer might be rest. Mm -hmm. And that is not you doing it wrong. That is you being tired. And that's okay. We sometimes have the same needs over and over again. But this practice of taking the time, and I do this in minutes. So it's not taking a ton of time, mm -hmm. but taking the time to be with yourself for a few minutes and check in and just get curious. How am I doing? And 
this enables you to switch from this is my day. How can I fit myself and my needs into it? Mm. So starting with this is me today. How can I create a flow for my day that meets me where I am Mm -hmm. and helps me to, you know, feel supported and nourished, whatever that might look like today. Maybe you're more tired. Maybe it's the first day of your cycle. Maybe you're feeling anxious about something coming up. And so the flow of your day might look a little bit different that day in order to support you. But checking in with yourself and asking, how am I doing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And genuinely caring. I mean, I think that when it comes to rebuilding a relationship with ourselves, the great news is we have the skills. We know how to attune to other people. Mm -hmm. It's taking those skills and turning them on our relationship with ourselves. It's not learning a whole new set of skills. I love that. (laughs) I love that. Like, it's like we don't know how to do that. Um, friend, you've been socially conditioned to do that your entire life. We just haven't applied it inward. We know how to do that. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. And so taking that time to connect with yourself, I think is really important. Another really supportive thing that you can do right away is to identify one tiny non-negotiable for mm. yourself and start to practice keeping your commitments and becoming trustworthy. And what is essential is making this be truly tiny, very doable. The idea is that on every single day, no matter what, you're going to do that thing. Maybe there are days where you can do more, fine. But even on the worst day, you know, for me, when I started really kind of learning how to take care of myself, this was brushing my teeth and washing my face twice a day behind a closed door without my phone for two minutes. Mm, mm-hmm. And it seemed simultaneously like I couldn't possibly spend four minutes of my day without my phone, you know, without multitasking. And also, what does it mean about my life if I can't spend four minutes just to, to myself? But giving yourself something that is so tangible, and this is unique to you. For some people, this is making their bed mm. is the thing. That's not my thing, personally. (laughs) Me either. My husband would tell you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For some people, it's getting dressed in real clothes, whatever real clothes means to you. But having a thing that you identify as, hey, this improves my life, and I can do it very quickly and easily and offer just that bit of support for myself, no matter what's going on in my life. And again, this is a small way of practicing this idea of I am not an afterthought. Yeah. I matter. And the more that we're building into that, the more that we can connect with that, like I am allowed to have space in my own life. I am allowed to meet my own needs. And the last thing I would say that is just a feel good is starting to notice Maybe something that you did that day that you appreciate yourself for, that you value, that, you know, hey, something that somebody else might not notice, like, hey, you navigated your child taking 1,000 hours to put on their socks so patiently and calmly. I mean, these are the moments where I think, why is nobody lining up to give me an award? (laughs) Um, But nobody's there. Nobody cares. But I can see just how much regulation it took in that moment to just stay with my kid 
let them have their sock process and not lose my mind because I needed them to leave, to go to school because of this, because of that, because of all these other things that are on my mind. Right. And so when we can learn to acknowledge those small moments and say, hey, that's actually growth. Mm. You know, you would have <laughs> lost it three months ago right. in that moment and you didn't. That's a big deal. And I can acknowledge that for myself. This isn't a replacement for being acknowledged or appreciated by somebody else. But it is important for those moments where I'm having an experience and I want to feel seen, but I'm the only one here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how can I see myself? It's so good. And I think about the starting point of when I learned that I needed to build trust with myself. I don't know what brought it about. I can't remember exactly the dynamic, but it became so clear to me that this was something that I needed to work on. And one of the places I started was what you're saying with keeping my word to myself mm-hmm. as like, I make commitments to everybody and I keep them. And yet I make commitments to myself that I don't keep. And then I feel like crap. And then I feel like I'm failing because I don't keep the words or the commitments or the goals or whatever I set for myself. And I learned a hard lesson and I've, you know, recalibrated since in my sort of A-type perfectionist all or nothing thinking. I had been working on this slowly with like small things and keeping my word to myself with small things each day. But I just committed to run a 10K, like a marathon, I guess. I was postpartum after my third kid. And I was just like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, I told myself I'm going to do it. I signed up for it. I committed to it. I hated every single moment, but it like kind of, I forced myself to do it to sort of teach myself a lesson. Like don't overstretch your word to yourself. Like Mm -hmm. this, let this be a lesson that if you're going to commit yourself to something that is going to be something you really are going to back with full intention, because if not, when you say, oh no, and back away, you feel like you're failing, but you didn't fail. You just overcommitted yourself Mm -hmm. or whatever the case. And like from then on, I've been so conscious about the commitments I make in my own brain to myself or the goals that I set or the things that I sign myself up for, because it leaves us feeling so crummy when we break those things with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and beyond that too, making commitments that are things we actually want to do and not just things we think we should do or somebody else said was a good idea. Yeah. Because I've been there too, where I make a commitment, I'm in it, I'm hating it. And it takes me, you know, however long to realize I want many things, Mm. but maybe this isn't one of them. And that is okay. We are so well conditioned to think, I should want this. I should want that. I talked to so many people about this, about writing a book. I don't know how you feel about writing a book, but it is hard work. It is grueling work. It's not just something random like, oh yeah, I think I should do that. If you're not willing to do it and it's hard, then do something else. It's totally great to do something else. And I think making sure we're making those commitments or setting those priorities from a place of, I genuinely want this right? versus I think I would look good if I did this or, you know, whatever the case is. Or get my postpartum body back in shape or whatever the motivations are, right? And I think that in that moment, I saw it through, but also knowing that it's okay to change your mind. Mm -hmm. Like, And I'm in a place now like in business and in life and in, you know, values and conversations with my partner and like, 
even if we have our mindset to something and we've made a commitment based on the data we had at that time, we can reevaluate and we can, you know, pivot or change course or drop it all together. And that's not a failure. And it's perfectly acceptable to do that, probably even healthy if it's not something that's for you. So I think that in some situations we might see it through and in others we might reevaluate and either one, depending on the situation is is okay. Oh my gosh, I could talk to you about this all day long. And I'm sure that one of these days I'll probably be calling you up to have you back to hash out who knows what, but where can people find you? Where can they find your book? Oh, well, thank you. First of all, this has been absolutely great. And I am just so grateful to be here with you and your beautiful community. You can find me at maraglatzel.com and there's my book is there. My work is there. You can also find me on Instagram at Mara Glatzel. I like to hang out there as well. And yeah, come get your needs met. I love that. I love that. And we'll link in the show notes. And yeah, if it hits home for you that you've ever felt like your needs have been invalidated, this is such a great book and a journey for you. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Oh my goodness, I absolutely loved that conversation and so much of it resonated so deeply. I understand what it feels like to put others first, to feel like you want to be cared for in a way that you pour out and care for others. And I love the concept that she introduced about being radically responsible for our needs and how it's time for us to mother and take care of ourselves. And yes, there's shared responsibility in that and our partners have responsibility to our relationship and the relational needs, but ultimately we can advocate for our needs to ensure that they get met. And I think that that's part of the definition of radical self-care. If this is something that you struggle with or you feel like you don't even know where to begin, I encourage you to book in a free 15-minute consultation with one of our mom therapists who will be able to walk you through learning how to set some boundaries and learning how to identify your needs first of all and then be able to put them first. To learn more about booking with a therapist, head to momwell.com. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week where we are being joined by holistic psychotherapist Vanessa Bennett to discuss navigating your relationship after baby and how to embrace the new normal of your relationship. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center to join the momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to momwell. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all.
and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.